Welcome to Rowan College of Burlington County's Baroness Podcast. I'm Dr. Brooke Myatt, Program Chair and Assistant Professor of our Entertainment Technologies Department. I am the co-chair of the Women's Advocacy Group, a subcommittee of the President's Advisory Council on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. This monthly series highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. Tune in for a female perspective on the Burlington County community. We are here to listen to these amazing women. And if you want to hear from women who lead and inspire, this podcast is for you. Welcome to November. It is time to be thankful. We are close to the holidays. And today I am thankful for all of the wonderful women and networking that I get to do. And today our guest is Jessica Simpkins, a professor of theater at RCBC. She's a master in fine arts and stage management, and she has over two decades of experience stage managing professional theater and dance productions. She is serving as the managing director for a nonprofit theater in Philadelphia for over 10 years and is the mother of two fabulous children. Her youngest, Clark, has an ultra-rare genetic disorder called Myrie syndrome. And to date, there are approximately uh, 200, you said, diagnosed cases of Myrie syndrome in the world. And we're going to get to that. But first, I just want to say thank you so much, Jessica, for being here on the Baroness podcast. Thanks for having me. Um, you know, we met by chance and I always say it's like this diva, this women's network of how like you meet people in your life and you never know how they're going to change or, you know, bring you into different avenues and different sectors into your life. And ours was kind of a happenstance. Our two girls were in preschool together and I don't know why I was there. I was waiting for something. We were both in the foyer and I started asking you like what you do. And then I was like, hey, I think you might want to come to RCBC and like possibly teach, maybe be an adjunct, right? We were like chatting and I connected you and then now you're here. How long have you been here? So that was in the fall of 2019. And so I've been here since that next semester in 2020. Quick, quick pickup, quick changes. Why do you like RCBC? Because I think that's an interesting question I ask a lot of, of our adjuncts that it's you know, it's a unique space because it is a community, but what is it about RCBC that you enjoy the most? So the other times I've taught, it's usually with students that are specifically looking into going into theater. Um, It's their major or they're already getting their master's in it. And when I come here, I'm getting to teach a community of people who maybe have never even seen a play before. And this is their first touchstone to theater and being able to ignite that spark in them or even just help explain what that play meant. Uh, it's it's unique. It's a new experience. You know, you have a wealth of experience in in the history of, I know, in Philly and the suburbs of Philly and the theater district. Can you just give us a quick background? I know I shared a little bit, but a quick background of, of your experience in the industry. Yeah. Um, so I started stage managing um, in Kansas City while I was getting my master's um, over at the Kansas City Rep and the Actors Theater of Kansas City um, and with the Kansas City Ballet doing... Um, Doing the Nutcracker there is 
a beast. It's a fun, fun beast. I am sure. <laughs> um, and then when I uh, graduated, my husband and I moved um, to the Philadelphia area because he's from around here. Um, I'm actually from South Carolina, and there's not a whole lot of professional theater there. Uh, so I would I, think right here in the tri-state area, you got a lot of theater going on. Yeah, I didn't have to look very far. <laughs> yes. So I um, continued stage managing and um, landed into an administrative job for a company called Amaryllis Theater. And their whole purpose was to be the most accessible theater in the Philadelphia area, both in um, in their audience and how they um, accommodated them and in the people who were in their plays, um, from the designers and technicians to the performers. It was They also provided a lot of education to the other arts um, organizations in the community on how to be a more accessible organization. And that was incredibly fulfilling. And um, from that... Another theater company saw what I was doing there and took me on as their managing director. And I stayed at the helm of that group for 10 years until about six months into COVID. And then I took a step back. You used a beautiful term of accessibility. And I think I'm going to use that word now on to some of the work that you're doing for your son, Clark. Um, And that's, you know your, your, your baby, um, to you and, and, and providing access and care and education to a lot of people that don't know about Myrie syndrome. So could you, I know it's probably a long story, but could you start about how you knew that there was something happening with Clark and then how you learned, and I know it was a long process for you to try and find out about Myrie, and there's not a lot of people that are, are dealing with this. Start from the beginning. When Clark, uh, before he was born, um, there, the ultrasounds were showing some abnormalities, um, and the original hospital we were at um, was perfectly fine with my first child, who came out perfectly typical. Um, but they kept saying, there's unique things here. We're not sure. We think he might need emergency surgery as soon as he's born. And we don't do that here. So we would fly him medevac to Wilmington, Delaware to do it at Newmore's. And my first reaction is, I'm not going to stay in Philadelphia while my baby's getting surgery in Delaware. Um, what options do we have to be able to do that surgery in the here. same hospital? Sure. And um, someone said to me, well, have you, th- have you have thought about having your baby at CHOP? I'm like, well, no, you don't have babies at CHOP. You bring babies to CHOP, right? Fun fact, they have a special delivery unit. Um, they have two delivery rooms total in the whole hospital and three recovery rooms. Um, the mother has to be extremely healthy because they don't have the facilities to take care of an adult if something goes wrong. Right. So it's children's I, hospital. Children's hospital. And so they went through a bunch of tests for my um, my baby uh, before he was born, but they also did a lot of testing on me to make sure that I was healthy enough to deliver there. Uh, they have a little room in the middle of their two delivery rooms with a window and um, all of the equipment they could need should anything go wrong. And once the baby's born, they just pass the baby through the window and there's a whole medical team there ready to examine them. It was unreal. Um, Oh, I'm sure. I mean, even if you were a second time mom, anything that you hear, there's something something wrong with your baby, you're going to need emergency surgery and all these things. I mean, I don't even know the stress 
you know, mental, emotional, I mean, what were you going through? Because not a lot of women talk about that. Like, how did, how were you handling it? You know, you're pregnant, your baby's not even out yet, and you have all this weight, like. A lot of research. Um, I'm a fact-based person, and most of the people in my family work in the medical industry. I'm the outlier there. So You're like, um, I got the theater managing. Can we do a little, you know, mm -hmm. show on the side? But yeah, no data facts, no health facts, no medical, you know, education. Okay. So it's just a whole lot of if and then and just taking notes and getting second opinions. And once once we we were – we found out the day that we were supposed to be induced at the other hospital that we were allowed to be delivered at CHOP. Wow. So we actually had our bags packed, and we weren't sure if we were leaving all to of the To go to Delaware? Yeah, or where, Philly. Like, where are we going? Yeah. Um, but it, it happened, and he did surprisingly did not need surgery when he was born, but he did um, about 10 minutes after he was born crash really hard and need like every intervention imaginable. Sure. So we spent... 17 days in the NICU um, and, you know, slowly weaning him off of all of the medical supports. And he came home with nothing but me and a scale to make sure he gained the right amount of weight. So what are some of the symptoms that are seen post, obviously, that you had him and some of the symptoms when he, you know, if he was hitting those mile markers and as he was growing, what what were some of those symptoms that you were seeing that you're like, okay, we can take this off the table, this off the table, he doesn't have any of these, and you're seeing all these specialists and they they have no clue or they're misdiagnosing left and right and sending you to specialists. What, I mean, what's happening then post this 17 days in the NICU, you're bringing him home? So while we were at the hospital still, they had um, actually the head of the genetics department come and check out Clark because he was such a unique scenario. Sure. And uh, they ran um, all the blood tests they could to see if there was any kind of genetic difference, but they were just a standard blood test. Um, Sure. And nothing came up. And they said, we think there's possibly something there, but come back when he's a year old. Um, So we, we went home. He had, you know, some feeding issues. It was really hard for him to nurse or take a bottle in general. But we managed to get through that, and then he hit six months, and they said he just wasn't gaining enough weight for them to be happy. Um, Other than that, we didn't notice a whole lot in that period of time. Um, They decided he had failure to thrive, which is a very arbitrary designation. Sure. be a number of different things. Exactly. Um, And they started him on um, NG tubes, which is just giving extra nutrition through the nose. Um, It they didn't know at the time his diagnosis, which includes being small. Um, so no, he wasn't growing at the rate of a typical person, but he was not supposed to. His body's not built for that. Um, so they actually overcorrected, and he gained a lot of weight that he shouldn't have. So that that, that was another challenge. Of, yeah, uh, that took a lot of me pushing and just saying, "I'm not doing these feeds anymore." Like I, I see this isn't comfortable for him. Sure. Um, well, I know. You listen, it's that motherly instinct. A lot of people don't really take note of that but like we have this motherly instinct and you thank god that you stood and advocated up for that we did get him into early intervention though because he sure. uh, he had global developmental delays uh, so he was getting pt he was getting ot he was getting speech um it turned out that his ears weren't draining properly there was a lot of fluid in them which was preventing him from hearing well 
which causes speech delays. Sure. Um, uh, And when we finally hit that one-year mark and we went back to the geneticist, they do all this – these tiny little measurements of like how far your eyes from your nose and how like what how deep is your nose like it's like um there's a lot of physical traits that you see with someone with Myrie syndrome similar to someone with down syndrome where you you look at them and you go i can tell this person has this syndrome but with so few people in the world not everybody knows what that looks like sure. um i can i could pick them out of a crowd now that i now that i'm a parent of someone who has it um so this geneticist had seen I think two other people already who had Myrie syndrome and she thought this might be it. The only way they could diagnose it at the time was uh, full exome sequencing, okay. which is taking blood from both parents and the child. And they it's like laying all the pages of a book out and making sure they're all there. And all the pages of the book were there, but there was one out of order. And that's the SMAD4 gene. And that's that's the whole thing that put everything into uh, the put the ball in motion and why he's different. Um, there's a couple of different genetic disorders related to that gene. Um, but And so it's on a specific chromosome that causes this genetic disorder. So you had told me that um – some of the common characteristics of Myrie syndrome are short stature, characteristic facial features, small eyes, small mouth, prominent chin, intellectual disabilities and or autism, hearing loss, limited joint mobility, problems with lungs and airways, problems with heart and blood vessels, thickening skin. Where is now Clark in his management of this in medical care? There's, there's not a cure of any sort. This is genetic disorder of this gene. Where is he at now with his health? So we are one of the luckier families. Um, and they tell us that every time we go, um, there's a clinic in um, Boston at uh, Bass General that mm-hmm. is actually studying this genetic disorder. It's the only clinic in the world that's studying it. So again, we're really lucky to be where we are. It's not yes. hard to get to Boston. And we see them every two to three years um, and a a smattering of specialists that are studying the differences, um, the different things that can go wrong with Myrie. Just check in on him, make sure he's doing okay. Um, His lungs are great. And he sleeps, a caveat, better than anyone they've seen in clinic. However, he does not sleep well. Okay. (laughs) it's definitely hard for him to fall asleep. It's hard for him to stay asleep. But uh, compared to the, the population they have seen, he doesn't need a, like a medication to help him go to sleep. Sleep, sure. Um, his heart has a lot of unique features. His cardiologist is so descriptive. He says it's like having – it's like, oh, you have a freckle, and I don't have a freckle. You know, So it's unique. It's interesting, but it's not going to impact him medically right now. Um However, right along his left ventricle, the the um, tissue there is thicker and spongier than a typical heart, which can, if it continues to thicken, cause issues. It'll cause it um, the heart to have difficulty squeezing properly. Sure. Um, which they call left ventricular non-compaction, and that could, in the long run, require surgery. Um, the problem with surgery in Myrie is that 
that the main thing that is caused by this difference is uh, a propensity to fibrosis and scar tissue. So even the most minimally invasive thing in the world could be disastrous for someone with Miri. Um, like intubation, like a breathing tube that you put down when someone's having difficulty breathing, that could cause scar tissue in the airway to make it so that that person can't breathe well for the rest of their life. Um, so you hear, oh, this person needs heart surgery. You think real hard about it, and you think about all the other things you can do before you take that step. Sure. But like I said, he's doing okay right now. He's uh, he's towing the line of a medical diagnosis with cardiomyopathy, but he's not there yet. Um, no restrictions on his physical um, exertion either, so he can go run and play like everybody else, which is fantastic. Um, he definitely has uh, the developmental delays of um, – <clears throat> Like his uh, his speech and communication is not at a like a typical peer level, so he can communicate needs and wants very well. He is not shy about that. <laughs> You're like I know that. <laughs> but when it comes to having like a conversation, um, that's a little bit more difficult, challenging. For him. Yeah. And she, and he's obviously doing therapies for these things, and you're trying as much as you can to push that forward. Absolutely, he has therapy. Pr- Four to five days a week of some sort, but that's, you know, it's keeping him progressing. And um, we have, what, physical therapy, occupational therapy, speech therapy, uh, behavioral therapy. And we are so lucky to live where we are because Camden County actually has a, a huge disabilities program. They do a lot of things for people with special needs of all ages, and one of them is horse therapy. Oh, equine therapy. I know it's a real, I, we actually, years ago, um, my students actually did a documentary about a place in Burlington County and you, you don't realize how beautiful that is that, you know, they can just be with the, with the horses, the equines and just be themselves. How is he enjoying that? Oh, he loves it. He loves it. It's every other week and it's completely paid for by the county, which is just unbelievable because that out of pocket on top of all the other therapies he gets, it oh, adds I can up. only imagine. Yeah. Yeah. But it, so you get that, um, almost like that dog therapy part of it where it's, you know, it's just emotionally supportive for them, but they also, it's building their core strength because they have to sit upright and balance on that horse and they're, um, their hand-eye coordination, they'll have like those uh, Velcro darts in the balls and they'll be throwing it to that. They'll be doing um, like uh, beanbag tosses. It's all these different things that are helping like continue to work on range of motion in their joints. And sure. they don't know because they're just having fun on a horse, which is lovely. Oh, that's beautiful. So with all these therapies, all these things, being a mom, everything else, when when do you sleep? periodically yeah periodically (laughs) (laughs) I mean you know I think a lot of women who are dealing with children that are facing you know some medical issues with their children I mean it's it's taxing social socially emotionally how do you get through it like where's your like, where's your out? Where do, where do you get to take a breath? Do you take a breath? What, what are you doing for, for you? Because a lot of us, we don't have time for us. You I, know what I mean? Yeah. I built it in um, when I stopped uh, 
<clears throat> at the theater as the managing director, I didn't have to commute to Philadelphia anymore. Um, and I do a lot of my work from home. So I drop off my older child at school and I run every single morning um, before I actually sit down at my desk and start work. And that is, that's my outlet. And it's been, oh, it's been almost three years now. Which, so it's it's helping me kind of like take all the stress in my world and just leave it on the street. And being able to get fresh air and the sunshine, like it's it's incredibly therapeutic. And then it's something that's actually healthy at the same time. A lot of people don't realize how much vitamin D helps. Oh, it's huge. And yeah. my, my home my home office is in my basement. So I've, I've got to get outside. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, where's the sun? <laughs> what would you tell other women who are going through, you know, situ- medical situations and, and all this, you know, dealing with anything in their life with their children that's just, you know, it's overwhelming. It's a lot to deal with. You, you know, you went from, like you're saying, no medical background, no nothing. I mean, to me, when we were speaking here, you, you know, I think you now have a master's in, you know, every uh, medical doctor known to man now. What kind of advice would you give women who are going through similar situations with their children? Don't do it alone. Like, accept the help. Everybody wants to say that they're strong enough. They can do it on their own. They don't need the help. But even if you can, you don't have to and you shouldn't. Like, accepting that. Yeah, I think I think women, we feel like that's that's making us look weak. Oh, yeah. But, and you're the why, mom. Yeah, and you're the mom. So it's like, wh- why? Why should we have to feel like that? We shouldn't. We should be able to rally and 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 go and ask for help and do you have like a network that you go to do you have those those that group of I call it like my diva group or my mom's group or my girls that are always there for me so I have um we have a Facebook group for the international community of families who have Myri, uh which is really good for um information and support sure um <clears throat> that's actually I found that group before we even sat down with the geneticist they they were like we're not supposed to tell you but we're going to tell you what it's called and uh, you know me I immediately opened up my computer I'm like what is it what do we do there's a clinic okay um so that that's helpful but I locally I have a, a group of friends who have children with special needs that run the gamut you know sure um so it could just you know be a learning disability it could be a physical disability but we're all there just kind of Communicating, yeah, and sometimes, you know, whether you're working with a doctor who's not listening to you or dealing with um, an accommodation that your student needs that for some reason isn't being provided, this is that that tribe of mama bears who are going to rally behind you and tell you how, how to navigate what you need to do. That's wonderful that you have that outlet and, and all those people to support you. And I know that you've been – you're now um, a board on the board of directors for the Myrie syndrome. How did you get involved in that? They were looking for someone to help with some of their marketing efforts about a year and a half ago. And I said, I can do that, but not. I can't take it all on. I, sure. I can help here and there. And um, so I started on their marketing committee. And then a, a year in, they said, we're looking to add some more board members. Would you be interested? And I had to take a deep breath because I like, I 
sometimes have trouble saying no. I think we all have that. <laughs> Believe me, I can raise my hand and say I have the same situation. Can I fit it in is always yeah. the question. How do you do it all? That's what I'm saying earlier. It's like, how do you do it all? It's a lot. And we're, we're doing it. It's, it's working. It's happening. Um, and we actually, now that, um, they, so the, um, the foundation's only about five years old. And they uh, have had, they were supposed to have their first in-person conference in 2020. Yeah. Um, And that went virtual. And ever since then, they've done virtual conferences. And this is, it's for an international community. And people, you know, there are some significant uh, mobility concerns for some of the people in the community. Um, So having them be able to travel is difficult. Sure. Um, but they are finally doing their first in-person conference this summer in July. And Wonderful. when we started talking about it, they're like, where should we have this? Where's a good place where, okay, it has to be accessible to the national community. It has to be affordable in terms of hotels. Like, where can we do this? And I'm like, why don't you do it in Philadelphia? Like, yeah, this seemed like a no brainer to me. And they, they're like, well, let's look at some other cities. Let's look at our options. And then I sent them information on some spaces in Philadelphia, and they're like, oh, that that is a no-brainer. So I'm kind of the boots-on-the-ground yeah. person for yeah. getting this going now, um, and it's it's exciting. I have As soon as December hits, which is only a few weeks away, I'm going to have a lot to do. Yeah, you got the time management. The clock is uh, ticking then for a, a summer uh, conference. Um what are your hopes and dreams for um, moving forward with working towards this goal and the assistance and getting the word out there about Myrie syndrome? So I personally think that there's definitely more people out there who have the syndrome who don't know. Sure. Um, they either... Are, have their various symptoms diagnosed, but not the overarching cause. They may not be in a community that has access to the same level of healthcare that we do. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of doctors who don't know what it is. So um, helping su- helping get the information out there so that other people can finally get a, a true diagnosis and then work from there is helpful because this is a progressive syndrome. All of these symptoms get worse over time just because – they have, um, you know, just because their hearing is fine today doesn't mean that they won't have significant hearing loss in five to 10 years. Just because Clark can walk and run today doesn't mean by the time he's in high school, he won't need some sort of mobility device to help him walk around. Um, on top of that, they've, they've been doing some really great research and helping, helping get funding for that is, is key because they're looking sure. at causation of this right now. And ways they can at least mitigate some of the symptoms, like maybe stop them from progressing if they can't prevent myri altogether. Let's see if we can at least keep you where you are and not let things get stable. Worse. Right? Um, they're doing a, a mouse model right now that's really interesting. That uh, the mice <clears throat> that had myri simulated in them were not the babies weren't thriving, and they were eventually dying. They were trying to figure out what's going on turned out there was a lot of mucus buildup in their noses and they couldn't nurse so they couldn't get enough nutrition to survive and most people with myri also have a lot of mucus buildup like clark is he's got a humidifier in his room all year round and uh, steaming him out every morning 
as soon as he wakes up. So why is that? Well, they're looking into it now. And, right. you know, is it, do they have seasonal allergies? Do they have, um, are they just more susceptible to upper respiratory infections? Because mm. he tends to catch everything that's out there. Um, <laughs> oh, no. You know, or is it just mucus? Do they just produce right. more mucus for some unknown reason? Uh, but that kind of that kind of research is that's going to be really important for the whole community. You are so passionate, and it sounds like it's it's so much work what you're what you're doing in your life with everything else. And sometimes that is also really hard on a sibling. And how is your daughter? How does your daughter deal with this? Because this is a lot of work that you and your husband, I'm sure, day in day out are having to care for Clark. And but yet, yes, you have another child. So how do you do and another question, like, how do you do it? How, how, how are you doing it with two kids? And then how are you still being able to support your daughter? So her first three years after Clark was born, she was not happy, not happy at all, because she was three years old when he was born, and she was the only child before then. Right. And she didn't get that warm, fuzzy, I get to cuddle with my brother type of coming home. It was, we have this tiny, fragile human. Um, so sure. So she resented it a lot. Um, we, and that's difficult. Yeah, and it's, it's to explain to a three-year-old yeah. and a four-year even now. Yeah. yeah, and it's reasonable. I mean, sure. My sister resented me for like ten years, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we're one really fortunate that my mother-in-law lives close enough that she can be around during the school week. Um, so one, it helps with my work. So that sure. when when the kids get out of school, she can help with that. It takes a village, I said. You can't do it by yourself. It takes a village. And when Clark has all of his different therapies, she can be with Daphne. Um, but I found that I mentioned I walked Daphne to school. That's one of the most important parts of our day, in my opinion, because that is 20 solid minutes to and from school that we get to just have one-on-one -on -one conversation there's nothing else in the room to distract us. There's no one to listen in on us. It's just us. And she's gotten to the point where we'll start walking and she'll look at me and go, so what do you want to talk about today? So it's like she looks forward to it and she has that that's expectation. Her, that's her mommy and me time. It's, it's and not that's mom so check your email Yeah, it's time. so important. Yep. I mean, that's so important. People don't realize those little moments where everything else is away. You're not distracted like you're saying – you're just focused in on them and it's just about them, even if it's the silliest conversation. I'm sure you've had some really fun times and things and subjects. And um, yeah, I mean, I feel like a lot of people don't realize that that's such an important time. Yeah. And I mean, even by dinner, you say, how was school today? And you oh, fine. And that's it. But if you're stuck with me for 20 minutes walking and you can't go anywhere and you can't pick up a book or anything, you're going to talk to me how I find out everything now. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe some things you don't even want to know, right? <laughs> so during when we're talking, I just wrote some words down that just caught my ears here. Just us, do it all, support system, Myri, progressive research. And I use those maybe as like kind of hashtags of our discussion here. If you had a hashtag to share about everything that you've been going through, 
this whole journey so far, because I call it a journey because it's never going to be over, what word would you use? That's a tough one. It's it's almost like uh, like Dory and just keep swimming. You know, yeah. like you just you just put one foot in front of the other every day, and you don't you don't know what's going to be there, but you're just going to keep moving through. I love that. Just keep swimming. I have some cards here that are my surprise cards, and I don't ever know what they're going to ask. So we're going to flip over some of these cards, and they're going to be fun, fun and exciting, okay? What in my life could use some extra attention? <laughs> oh, boy. Uh, my house. It's a mess. <laughs> I think that's for any person, any, any, any family, uh, uh, any, any time, anywhere. What would you like to change about the world? Empathy, just greater empathy all around. It's a good one. I agree. What is your favorite mantra? I don't have a favorite mantra. Um, but do you have like a saying or a word that is like your, your go-to or other than your keep swimming, which was great. (laughs) Uh, I don't, but my, um, my mom bought me a little sign to put in when I still lived in Philadelphia with this tiny, tiny little backyard that was like barely even a backyard. Um, but I did, I planted a bunch of perennials there and I had some vegetables and she got me this little sign to put in the garden that said, I don't remember planting this. And we still have it in our very large well we have we have two gardens now we have like an actual edible garden and a butterfly garden now that we're Aww. in the suburbs um but we still have it and i think it's it's kind of a unique way of looking at the world where i i, I don't remember planting this but i'm still going to care for it now that it's here i'm going to i'm going to see what comes of it yeah you're going to keep watering it you're going to keep keep at it and that's what you've been doing you just have to keep going just like you're saying keep swimming you just got to keep doing it beautiful. What advice would my 80-year-old self give myself right now? Mm. Sleep more. Sleep more. (laughs) Amen to that. (laughs) It's going to weigh on you eventually. (laughs) I totally, I totally agree. Well, I wanted to say thank you for sharing about Clark's condition, about Myrie syndrome. Hopefully everyone can go and learn a little bit about it. I know you have some of your own little bake sales and things that you do. Is there a s- socials that they can find you at, Facebook group that they can learn more at? Would you like to share that with our audience? Uh, so the foundation that does all of the fundraising and awareness work is myresyndrome.org. And that's M-Y-H-R-E um, syndrome.org. Thank you so much again for joining us. I really appreciate you sharing your story. I'm so happy that you're here in the RCBC community. I'm so happy that you shared your story, your life, your dreams. We wish the best for you and your family and send our love to Clark and send our love to Daphne. Thank you. Take care. Thanks. You've been listening to the RCBC Baroness podcast, which highlights women in leadership while encouraging listeners to build their skills, connect with the community, and visualize the opportunities available to women in various professions. For more information about this podcast or other podcasts available on the RCBC podcast network, visit rcbc.edu slash podcast. And be sure to subscribe to the RCBC Baroness podcast available on all streaming platforms.